0: Hello, everyone. My name is Katherine Barron. I'm a longtime education reporter and host of The Score, a podcast about academic integrity and cheating. We explore the landscape of cheating in school and delve into the key issues at play in this multifaceted issue challenging academia today. In each episode, we speak with faculty, scholars, or students and ask them to provide insights into what's happening in college and university classrooms and why. How big a problem is it? Who cheats? As well as what policies, regulations, prevention efforts, and changes in teaching and assessment show promise in curbing cheating. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at podcastthescore, that's one word, or stop by our website to download show notes and see our lineup of guests and release dates. Again, that's podcastthescore.com. This episode features Dr. Sunny Ramaswamy, President of the Northwest Commission on Colleges and Universities, NWCCU. The commission is one of seven institutional higher education accrediting organizations recognized by the U.S. Department of Education. Their mission is to ensure that colleges and universities meet standard levels of quality Set by the U.S. Department of Education and each state. On this episode, Dr. Ramaswamy will discuss what accrediting organizations look for and where academic integrity comes in. Sunny Ramaswamy, welcome to the score.
1: Catherine Barron, thank you so much for having me here. Uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation.
0: So, I'd like to begin with a, a somewhat broad question. What is the purpose of accreditation? What is the general reason that these organizations exist?
1: Yeah. So, Catherine, that's a wonderful question. You know, I travel a lot, and uh, people sitting next to me on an airplane or wherever I am, you know, they'll ask me, so what do you do for a living anyways? And I say, I'm an accreditor.
0: Of course, they want to know what
1: an accreditor does, because most people don't know what an accreditor does. And in this particular case, as you said in your intro, we accredit institutions of higher education and we're located here in the pacific northwest so our institutions are in the the seven contiguous states of the Pacific Northwest, and we also have a few institutions in Canada as well. And uh, I shouldn't say contiguous because Alaska is separated by British Columbia, so that was a, uh, a misspoke. In any case, the the, the United States. <laughs> and uh, so the bottom line is, we're as you again in your introduction, you stated this as well. You said that we're recognized by the United States Department of Education, and there's a process, by the way, once every five years, we have to go through a re-recognition process. Like we accredit our institutions, we are, in quotes, accredited, approved by the United States Department of Education. As a matter of fact, we're going through that process right now. And uh, so that happens once every five years. So the bottom line response to your question is, so what does an accreditor do or what's accreditation all about? There, there are a you know, few components to it. Number one is it is quality assurance. And by accrediting an institution, such as the University of Washington, or Gonzaga University, or others of our 163 members, we are saying to students, and parents, and alumni, employers, and others, that this institution's education programs are offering the best education to that particular student. That's number one. The second part of it is because Americans, you and I, collectively, we spend uh, well over $125 billion a year, federal taxpayer money, that supports institutions. So we gotta hold these institutions accountable. So me as the accreditor uh, play that role in protecting the interests of the taxpayers. So it's the second thing is about accountability. The third thing, uh, very importantly for the, from the institution's perspective, is going back to this idea of quality assurance, is that the graduates of that institution are now eligible to become gainfully employed, if that's what they choose, or they may transfer into another institution to get you know, advanced studies. For example, they wanna to go to medical school or go to graduate school or whatever else they wanna do, they, they can go ahead and transfer. That transferability is also protected by the idea that we're, you know, we're offering the quality assurance as well. So aside from all of that, really, uh, you you've, you've gotta also consider for the institution itself, there's a couple of aspects to it, right? The first one is the transferability of their students that graduate from that institution or they may not have graduated. They just want to transfer, right? There are two different possibilities. So a student looking for a job, there is that assurance to the employer that the the student has gone to an institution that is in quotes, bona fide certified by the Northwest Commission. And secondly, it's a question of money. So any institution that is accredited they can attract students that become eligible for federal dollars, for you know Pell grants and other grants and and, and uh, uh, student aid as well. So those are some of the reasons why accreditation is really important.
0: We mentioned earlier at the beginning that the standards come from the U.S. Department of Education, and states also have some input into that. So as president of the Commission, how much say do you have? in setting the scope and different standards of accreditation for the Northwest Commission on colleges and universities?
1: (laughs) What a wonderful question. Uh, You know, I have zero say in the matter in terms of how we go about setting the standards and things like that. So really, it's the United States Department of Education's regulations, which are derived from the Higher Education Act. Congress passes these acts, and then the president, you know, signs it, etc. And then the Department of Education takes that act and translates that into what we refer to as regulations. And uh, these regulations, they come to us as an accreditor in the form of uh, a CFR, a Code of Federal Regulations. There's a particular uh, CFR called 34 CFR Part 602. That's our Bible, by the way. And in that Bible, it's got the do's and don'ts and all of the regs pertaining to higher education accreditation itself. Now, in the accreditation world, we we refer to it as a tripartite partnership. There is the federal government, of course, i.e., the Department of Education, that uh, has the regulations derived from the higher as a result of the Higher Education Act, and then you've got the state entity, a state regulatory body. And for example, here in the state of Washington where we're located, it is the Washington Student Achievement Council. And every state has these entities as well. That's the second part of this membership, tripartite membership. And the third one is me as the accreditor. Now me as the accreditor, all we do is take these regulations, particularly from the feds. The the states, they don't provide us any regs per se, but they apply these regs and things like that in their own context. Okay. They also use the, the, the bona fides that we offer based on the federal regulations. The state uses that same uh, information to provide funding and things like that to its institutions. Okay. So all of the regs, we interpret them as an accreditor, and we go through this iterative process. For example, we reviewed and revised our standards and eligibility requirements and policies. Just you know, We went through an 18-month iterative process of seeking input from this vast expanse of stakeholders we've got, not just our institutions, the 163 institutions, but more broadly from across America as well. We had think tanks and, and the federal government employees and others all provide us input into this, this iterative process. And those regs were translated into our standards, okay? And that's an iterative process. Our role, my role as the accreditor, my, my staff's role, we're a very small staff. We're only about 13 of us. But we rely on a whole bunch of volunteers. We have the Board of Commissioners. We have 21 commissioners. And, and these represent our institutions. You know, their presidents and provosts and deans and faculty and all that. Oh, we also have, must have uh, at least one public member for every seven institutional members. We also, as the Northwest Commission, we have... Uh, outside of our region members as well so that constitutes that universe of individuals that the board is the ultimate decider on accreditation itself and then we rely on several hundred volunteer evaluators and these evaluators are the ones that we send on campus to each institution through the cycle that we've got and they go and evaluate the institutions pertaining to, aligned with the standards which are aligned with the federal government's regulations itself. So they go, they do this process, submit that, and all we do, the staff does, is we facilitate these visits, we facilitate the information gathering and things like that as brought to the commissioners, and the commissioners will vote on the findings of the evaluators.
0: So... What do your evaluators look for? I, I, I mean, obviously, there's a number of things. They spend quite a bit of time. But what, what are the, the primary issues that they're looking at or, or departments? How does that work? Yeah.
1: Right. So we are, as you said in your introduction, we're an institutional accreditor. That means we have purview over the entire institution. As opposed to the institutional accreditor, we have what we refer to as programmatic accreditors. For example, the engineering college is accredited by ABET, A-B-E-T. The uh, education colleges are accredited by C-A-E-P, CAPE. Uh, The business schools are accredited by their own accreditor. The uh, psychology programs are accredited by their own, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, those are what are referred to as programmatic. They're focused on a particular program, right? Engineering or business or physical therapy or whatever else that the institution may have. We look at the entire institution. We roll up those programmatic accreditation information into our institutional accreditation as well. So the bottom line is, so our standards, if you look at our standards, we only have two standards. Number one is students, 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 students. And it's about student success and closing equity gaps. And that's a really important thing that we must absolutely consider. As you've seen, there's a lot of conversation going on about the value of education itself. And so student success is critically important and closing those equity gaps that we've got. Okay, That's number one. Number two is what we refer to as compliance. That is, you know, do you have financial uh, controls? Do you have internal controls? Do you have library facilities? Do you have infrastructure? Do you have laboratories? Do you have classrooms? Uh, Do you offer experiential learning? Do you have student services? and All these things, those are the compliance parts. So standard one is students and student success, and standard two is compliance. So our evaluators are trained. We offer a lot of training to our evaluators constantly we're offering. And we also send evaluators that come from like institutions. So if we're gonna be evaluating a tribal college, we like to have evaluators that come from tribal backgrounds and are from other tribal institutions. If we're gonna to go to a faith-based institution, again, we try to match those up with you know, evaluators that come from that sort of a background. So if it's a large public university, like University of Washington, then we want to have somebody that's similar, right? that may come from University of California, Berkeley, or other places, not just from within our region, from outside as well, okay? Like institutions, uh, members from like institutions are the evaluators. They go and focus on those two areas. And we have very explicit Data and information that we're looking for, we're very much, uh, the Northwest Commission is very much data and evidence informed. We want to use data. It's not just that, uh, you know, I'm your buddy, I'm going to come in and take a look at you and, you know, yeah, everything's hunky-dory. No, no, no. We want to have actual data. As a matter of fact, the U.S. Department of Education is also looking for all of that as well. They look at us. I said to you that we're going to go through this uh, re-recognition process right now. We're going through this. They're looking at how we have taken our standards, how we derive them, and how they're being applied in the context of the institution. So the evaluators, that's all their role is to go in. So really, if I may add a little bit more, the institution does a self-study, gives that report. Our evaluators go to that institution. They read the self-study, of course, but they're on the ground looking at every nook and cranny of that institution. And we can get complaints, for example, when the uh, evaluators are there, third-party comments and things like that. They take all of that into account. And then they put together uh, their findings in in writing. And their findings and that institutional self-report, self-study, they go to the commissioners for them to act upon.
0: So within those standards, particularly for students, it seems like there's a a little bit of room there for things that may not be entirely data-based. So how do you work through that? And I am got into like what we're about here on the score, is to say, how big a problem is cheating? And is that one of the issues that you take into account or that the evaluators take into account? Because you mentioned the value of a degree. Excessive cheating can actually you know, reduce the value of a degree. So how does that work?
1: So it's not just data, data, data that you know. Uh, 100 students came in and 75 students graduated in five years or whatever else. No, I mean, that is one part of it. Our evaluators and us, my staff and I, we receive these annual reports. We look at all this, we receive complaints. I mean, in fact, literally just before I got on the call with you, we were dealing with a particular complaint from another institution, not about cheating, but some other issue that that institution has. And it may be anything and everything right? All of this information is made available. Our uh, evaluators, when they're on campus, they afford the opportunity to every member of that community. These are alumni and friends and people living in the community, on campus, students. Uh, all of these have you know, are afforded the opportunity to meet with. And if people don't, you know, sometimes... Not everybody is willing to open up and talk at an open, right? And we offer them the opportunity as well to submit information anonymously. But they're going to have to vouch that that information is it, the veracity of the person that is submitting that information. We want to make sure that it's not just somebody that's got some ax to grind or, or is ticked off of that particular thing. So all of that, including if there's any instances of cheating on campus, that is also submitted to, the, uh, uh, to us. And then we, if it's come, it comes to my, our office, we go ahead and make that available to that group of evaluators as well. And remember, it's not a one and done. You know, We have a seven year cycle. We get these annual reports. We may get complaints or input coming any time of the year. When that comes, we, we actually follow up. We will investigate. My staff will go and investigate. If we need to bring in an ad hoc committee together, so everything is done by peers, by the way. That's I should have stated that. This is a peer evaluative system, invented in America, and that's being emulated in other countries as well. It's a peer evaluative system. So this information is provided to the peers and uh, evaluators. We may have these ad hoc panels that look at it. If it's between the different times that when we're on campus, there's a mid-cycle review that we go. It's in the third year. And then in the sixth year, That's the compliance part of it. We really have a deep dive in compliance issues. Often, there may be complaints that are filed at that time as well. And then, of course, the year seven, we refer to that as the comprehensive visit. At any time, you could have complaints coming to us or anonymous letters come to us or whatever else, particularly if it's some uh, issues related to integrity and cheating and things like that, Uh, we're going to go ahead and follow up on them.
0: Do you receive those frequently or you know what is the occurrence of those kinds of complaints
1: You know they're not they're not as frequent as one might imagine uh, we get them occasionally because you know one of the things that happens is it may not even rise to the level of the accreditor as you might well imagine on campuses uh, we have you know as you may know I've been on multiple different university campuses in my former life as well and universities have appropriate policies in place, and we look for that. Do you, University X, have a policy in place to deal with cheating and integrity issues and things like that? Okay, if you don't, then we're gonna come and make sure you're gonna make, you have that in place as well. All right, aside from that, they also have grievance panels and things like that. If a student is accused of, you know, and and we've had many, many cases across America that you and I could, uh, you know, talk about. uh, But, so really there's a process and what we look for Does the institution have the appropriate processes? And really it comes from, for us as an accreditor, students are number one, that's it. That's our bottom line. It's not the institution, it's not the president, it's not the professors or anything like that. You gotta protect the interests of the student, okay? And so we look for all of your policies and and processes and procedures and things like that to make sure that those students' interests are being protected. So when it comes to cheating, a lot of these things are dealt with locally, now, if it's just a one-off, let's say if, if just one student, you know, uh, uh, felt sorry for that particular student, he or she got caught or whatever happened, uh, you know, and that they deal with it, there's a grievance process and, you know, there's you know all these efforts that, that really, that there's no egregiousness on the part of the institution that they're dealt with and then, uh, you know, they, they go on to do whatever it is, you know, based on the findings. But if it's like a huge number of students like happened at some institutions that, uh, that you and I know of. If that comes up, then it floats up to us at that level, right? That, oh, wait a second, there's something else going on. So the approach that we end up using is, okay, institution X. So we, have, we work with what is referred to, uh, our liaison on campus is an accreditation liaison officer. It is an officer that's designated by the institution's president or chancellor. As the individual that's going to be the go between the interface for the university and the Northwest Commission. And we work with that individual. So if we get something like that, or if we see something in the newspaper, right, these are called unsolicited uh, pieces of information, or there's a formal complaint submitted to us, we'll ask first question Ms. ALO or Mr. ALO, tell us a bit more about what's going on here. Okay, and if that's okay, then we may say, okay, you got it under control. We'll we'll keep an eye and make sure everything's okay. If we need to, we'll delve into it further. If we need to, we'll you know uh, constitute maybe a panel or something like that. I mean, there's an iterative process to this. Is escalating uh, an iterative process to this as well?
0: Do you have discretion? So, so for instance, does your commission maybe respond? to these complaints in a different way than a uh, commission on, I don't know, the East Coast or or yeah. in the South?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So so we're seven of us. Okay. And uh, for example, in the South, in the Southeast, I should say, we've got the Southern Association, SAC-COC as we call it. In the New England area, we've got NECHE, N-E-C-H-E, the New England Commission on Higher Education. And there's the Middle States uh, Commission. There's the Higher Learning Commission in the Midwest, etc. And because we all... Derive our standards and policies and procedures and requirements from the Department of U.S. Department of Education's regs. We all are very comparable in how we do what we do. We have some, you know, specific detail differences. You know, our our timelines are different. Our uh, standards we only have two: students and compliance. Others may have seven or eight. Okay, and uh, but the complaints process we have to adhere to the policy we have in place and to the Department of Education's regs. In fact, you know, I have an analyst that I work with at the Department of Education and uh, each one of us has an analyst and that individual reminds us, stick to your policies, stick to the regs. Okay, don't go veering off. If I don't respond to a complainant in know, timely manner. So our policy says we have to respond in a timely manner. There's a process. You submit your complaint and things like that. We stick to it to, I mean, to a T. And otherwise, if we do anything egregiously, then we should be held liable and accountable as well.
0: I was just, going to ask if there's an example from your region that, uh, you know, maybe you can't name the college or university, but that you could describe what happened and how you went about addressing it.
1: Okay. So you're talking about a general complaint or a complaint pertaining to cheating?
0: A, a complaint pertaining to cheating and or academic integrity,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, so we've not had any cheating complaints per se, uh, at least since I've been here. I've not seen any. Now, academic integrity is invoked, right? And then, so so the process is this, right? So you're a complainant, you send us an email saying that, uh, uh, dear Northwest Commission, I want to f- you know report file a complaint with you regarding University X, right? And then you just have a short little description or something like that, maybe one or two lines, maybe a short paragraph or whatever. And I saw this uh, particular, you know, group of individuals or this, you know, professors were involved in some, uh, um, my word, shenanigans or whatever, okay, pertaining to lack of, demonstrating lack of integrity. Then I would reply to you saying that, thank you very much. And we do it within 10 days, by the way and thank you very much for your you know uh, your email that you've sent me and now if you do wish to file a formal complaint you must per the us department of education's requirements and our policies you must submit a formal complaint okay and we have we provide them the link to where this formal complaint is uh, submitted there's a policy you got to adhere to that policy because, again, we can't use hearsay and, you know, lack of evidence. you got to submit all of the evidence. If you're accusing somebody of demonstrating zero or poor academic integrity, then you better have some very significant evidence for that. Okay? And so we ask you to go and submit that. It'll come to through our portal. And one of our staff members, they... There, you know, we have assigned staff members to each institution, and they look at it, and then we convene, including our general counsel and myself. We have a conversation. We look at all the evidence that's been submitted, and if there's additional things that need to be done, it, it's, it's an, again it's an iterative process that we go through.
0: So, as an accreditor, I would think you have a unique perspective on the impact of cheating or on the integrity of a college or university, and. When you're looking at this part of the student success, the fundamental part of that, do you gather information, even if it's not a giant, you know, big incident like Harvard and the 100 students, you know, who cheated, but a giant, you know, just over the seven years, there's a number of them that have been accrued. Do you gather that information to say, okay, we didn't have this, you know, one giant situation. But we see here that, I don't know, 500 students have been you know, sent to this Academic Integrity Commission because they were accused of cheating.
1: So, again, you know, uh, I've been here as the president of the Northwest Commission now for a bit over four years, coming on almost five years. In that time, I've not seen that information. We do require institutions. That sort of uh, happen. Uh, happening on on our camp on our 163 campuses. Okay, now we will uh, not in the hundreds you're talking about. There may be the occasional one-offs here and there. However, we do our institutions must submit to us a list of complaints and things like that that they've got. So, so our my staff looks at those you know, as part of the annual reporting process, as part of the accreditation cycle and things like that, our institutions must submit that. That is, again, required by law, by the federal government statute. So they will submit it. And, and they, you know, most of these complaints are pertaining to a lot of, you know, issues related to my uh, financial aid was I was gypped or I didn't get support in terms of uh, IT infrastructure and, you know, things of that nature that you get, or I'm a veteran and the uh, the VA supporting office did not help me, uh, or this course was terminated. I mean, you get these kinds of things. In terms of cheating, where there's like a wholesale cheating of, you know, tens and hundreds of them, uh, we've got I've not seen any evidence of that in the last four plus years that I've been here. In fact, you know, if I were to go back and of course, I've spoken with my colleagues. So what's the situation going back, you know, eight, 10 years ago and, you know, asking my colleagues that have been here for for that length of time and they have not seen it. Plus, by the way, uh, we have all of this information that's submitted available to us. Now we've digitized all of it. You know, in the good old days, it used to be all, you know, as you know, hard copy, uh, paper submissions. Now it's all, it's all from historical records that have been digitized. And we can do, you know, uh, keyword searches and things like that and find out, uh, has there been any, um, uh, you know, uh, prevalence of uh, cheating on a particular campus? And uh, I've, I've not come across any.
0: So, so I guess there are two ways of kind of, of looking at those numbers. When a student has been caught or is is you know suspected of this and sent to a formal through a formal process, or the student does it and, and nobody finds out, and, and the reason I'm asking is because on the score we've spoken to different researchers, and their data is based on student surveys, and in those we've had fifty to sixty percent of students admitting that they cheated at least once. And most of this is probably not in any data set because it's just them responding anonymously on a survey. I'm I'm wondering then, you haven't seen this as a big problem in terms of the official data, but... Do you think it's as large as that? Do you do you have a sense of whether fifty to sixty percent of students have cheated at least once?
1: If it's an open-ended question, it's anonymous and things like that. Did you cheat? Uh, yeah, you know what I, uh, where it was a closed book exam, I opened the book or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm fessing up, right? And versus what happened at Harvard and, and other places. And, and you know, we've had at medical schools and dental schools and things like that, some very significant levels of cheating. And also, and you and I talked a little bit about this previously, uh, some of those have not been borne out to be true anyways, okay? so so the the bottom line is, you know i'm I'm not seeing those particular studies that you're referring to. and is it possible? Anything is possible. I mean, you know, we're talking about human nature, right? I mean, given the, uh, you know, the studies that have been done by Stanford and other institutions where they would go ahead and, and drop a, a, you know, a, a dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill or whatever, you know, how many of us don't just pick it up and stick it in our pockets and walk away? I mean, how many of us are going to just actually take it and say, hey, sir, did you lose this? I just found this. You know? Yeah, many of us do it. Of course, we were taught that, you know, right from wrong and things like that. This is like, you know, I'm sure it's happened to you. I go to a grocery store and I'm handed extra change or whatever. Right, I give it back. That's what I was taught to do. And but you know, some of us don't, and some of us do. And and going back to this question of cheating, is is the cheating a concerted effort to where a whole bunch of students hacked in to uh, let's say a database of questions or change the grades? Which has all happened, right? I mean, we've seen uh, what do you call instances of this? In fact, the educational testing service, you know, which does the test of English as a foreign language, or the GRE uh, folks that do GRE exams and all that. We've heard these horror stories of exams being stolen and disseminated, and students, you know, I mean, even smart students, you think wouldn't do it, but you know, human nature is such. So, bottom line is. I'm not seeing those data and and but you know for me to answer definitively yes or no, I'd have to look at those questions and then the nature of the questions and all that too. But from my perspective, from my experiences with in terms of the accreditation, and maybe it doesn't rise to us. Maybe it's not it's happening at these institutions, but it's not a coordinated, all out cheating okay? And uh, if 50% of the students are cheating, they're doing little bitty things, right? But what you're getting at is this, you know, the death by a thousand cuts. If you have this sort of thing that's going on, how, what does that say to student education? And I mean, do we really want, <laughs> as the joke goes, right? Do we really want a, a person that cheated in a medical school to uh, you know, do surgery on your heart, All right? And, and but these are the kinds of things that, that we need to consider as well. And then cheating. It is, it is inappropriate or uh, incorrect in any context, uh, small or large. Right? There is no such thing as a small cheat versus a large cheat. Cheat is cheat, and so uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what I'd say. I, I
0: I would think though that the student who may cheat in medical school would still have to pass all the board exams, and that's probably really difficult to cheat on on uh, I, I may maybe not but it just seems like that would be where you really would have to put a lot of effort into cheating and, and probably not succeed very well.
1: Right. Very true. And that's true of, you know, that's true not just of medical schools and dental schools and veterinary schools, you know, in the, in the broadly ripped health sciences, et cetera. But you see that sort of a post-graduation credentialing taking place, i.e., you know, you pass an exam, board exam, you know, whether you're an attorney or a psychologist or whatever. you. If you want to go on to practice or, you you know, Apply that in practice. You you if you've cheated throughout your college career, you're going to get busted because you don't have the knowledge base. Right? That's that's a, that's a, a built-in uh, you know part of the checks and balances that we've got. But you know somebody that. Uh, Um, cheats on an English exam, you know, copied, plagiarized, or whatever else that happened. And we see that, right? You know, you and I talked a little bit about this too. You know, we've got technology available today where we can see if the student is plagiarized or not. And also we've got these, uh, you know, mills, particularly in English-speaking countries across the world, that will sell you an essay on whatever topic you want for 50 bucks or 10 bucks or whatever, right? You get all these kinds of things. And and you know, institutions, the faculty members are already tied up doing a lot of things and now they gotta check whether this has been copied or plagiarized or somebody else wrote it and things like that. This is all, you know, part of this context that we've got. Now if the student graduates and goes and uh, uh, works as a clerk someplace or whatever. I mean, not in the context of the the type of credentialing, the post-graduation credentialing that we've got. And they get away with it. And and they may go on to do great things after that. I mean, you, you, you don't know. I and mean, I'm pretty certain that's happening. And, you know, when I was a professor way back when, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd tell my students, okay, I tell you what, you don't need to cheat here. If you want to cheat, tell me and I'll help you. Right? And you know, you're paying good money here. You know, either it's your money or your parents' money or you borrowed it. It's good money. You're shorting yourself by cheating. I mean, you know, we all have our ethics statements, right? And our institutions, have, you know, they post that on the, the wall of each room, and the professor comes in and reads that out loud, saying, You will adhere to these principles of being ethical and professional and things like that. And you know, by the time you come into college. As you know, it's way too late. It should be happening at home. It should be happening if you have a home. A lot of students don't have homes, right? That too. But it should be happening in K through 12. It should be happening in kindergarten, in first and second, in elementary school. That's where we learn these things about the good and the bad and the ugly that we've got, of cheating or whatever else that we've got. And, and I think by the time you get to college, these things are already set. And yeah, look at our look at America. Look at our leaders that we've got that cheat and lie and you know steal. And I mean, we see it every day in the news. That's what America is all about. Mm -hmm. And around the world, it's it's a global phenomenon.
0: Well, that's what I've been hearing through this podcast. That's for sure. I'm wondering then, are there colleges and universities, and and maybe not in the, the Northwest Commission area, but that you've read about or heard about that you see as models for getting on top of this problem, Um, you know, looking at it from the educational and cultural perspective. As you just mentioned, you say to a student, if you don't know this material and you feel you need to cheat, let's talk about that beforehand and find out where there's a disconnect in that the knowledge and learning.
1: Yeah, there are examples of that here in the Pacific Northwest as well. Absolutely. Positively. I mean, you know, uh, we've got institutions like I've used University of Washington, Oregon State University, Gonzaga University, uh, you know, uh, all of these, Boise State, all of these are institutions that actually inculcate those. You know, there's an expectation that is set and students are required to expect it to go ahead and adhere to principles of engagement right at the beginning. And then that is not just one and done. It's emphasized that multiple, you know, I used to be at Oregon State University. I was, on, I was the dean of the College of Agricultural Sciences. And I know that in my college, my departments went through that sort of a, a, a requirement. And, you know, it was not just the fact that you posted something on a wall and thought, okay, everything's hunky-dory, right? No, it was like you need to engage the students where they're at. And I'll tell you, Tim Renick at, uh, uh, and others, you know, this is Georgia State University. They're doing a phenomenal job of focusing on students and student success and things like that. They're exemplar, right? And what they do is they, they, they reach out to the students where the student is at, right? It's not something that you post on some whatever bulletin board or on a, on a door or whatever. I mean, they're engaging with the students using uh, social media and things like that as well. As, as you and I know, I mean, many of the students today, they don't even care for email or anything like that. And here we are, I'm gonna send an email to you saying you're required to do this and such. No, and, and they, they, they created, uh, you know, I tell you, some of the, including my own members, uh, have created TikTok videos and uh, uh, Vimeo videos and things like that that meet the student where the students at and, and they bring levity into that as well. You know, it's not just me saying, uh, you know, me the if I could use this term, the old fart. Sorry, uh, uh, that I'm going to tell you what to do. Don't copy. Don't cheat. Yada yada yada. You know, I mean, you know, the eyes roll and things like that. But if you know where the students at and conveying that that message in a in a fun manner. And, you know, it's a great way of doing things. I mean, getting ticked off and yelling and screaming and all that doesn't get you too far, right? And so several of our institutions are doing this. Some really, really cool stuff in, in this space as well. You know, Gonzaga is another one that is doing some really cool stuff in this area, University of Washington, as I said already. So uh, including some, you know, many of our community colleges as well. I mean, they're really, uh, Blue Mountain Community College is one of the ones that comes to mind. They're really where this, you know, reaching out to where the students are. That's that lived reality.
0: Thank you so much for discussing the role of accreditation in academic integrity with us. It's been really illuminating to understand this issue through, you know, the lens of standards and benchmarks. Sunny Ramaswamy is president of the Northwest Commission on Colleges and Universities. Thank you. It was wonderful.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Catherine. Much appreciated, okay? Thank you for having
0: me. I'm Catherine Barron. You've been listening to The Score. The Score is produced by the Academic Integrity and Research Group at Pando Public Relations. It is underwritten by Measure Learning, and technical support is provided by This Is Distorted. To ask questions, to download show notes, or to learn more about The Score, visit our website at podcastthescore.com follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at @podcastthescore or find us on all the podcast platforms as The Score